Yeah, you know, I, I tend to work best when I'm reacting to Leonard being wrong, so I think I'll <laughs> let him go first. That's how we all work best, is reacting when Leonard's sometimes wrong. It's easy money, you know? <laughs> we love no you, No shortage of work. <laughs> wow. Welcome to another episode of Direct Connect. My name is Leonard Chamberlain, managing partner with Archer, joined today by my fellow managing partners, Steve Parker and Brian Carr. Gentlemen, say hello. Hello, hello. Hello. Hello, hello. And other news, (laughs) Steve uh, has decided that there is no path to the presidency for him, and he has decided to drop (laughs) out of the primaries. That and I'm out of money, Leonard, so. Uh, Fundra- yeah. Fundraising's been a little weak lately. Fundraising <laughs> did not go as planned, Steve. That's that's true. <laughs> that's true. We we won't get into the specifics of the platform he was running on, you know, any of that. But unfortunately, yeah, yep, it's gonna have to withdraw. <laughs> as uh, I believe we mentioned on a prior Direct Connect or on Target or both, um, new standards came into effect on January first of this year. Uh, namely SIP 4-7 and SIP 11-3. These are uh, revisions to the standards to address uh, essentially allowing BES cyber system information, BCSI, to be stored in the cloud. So um, something that uh, the industry has been moving towards for a while, the degree to which it's already occurring. um, I don't know. I guess uh, auditors are very curious about that. At any rate, uh, major changes in SIP 4, essentially moving um, BCSI access management to a new requirement, requirement 6, and uh, essentially authorizing provisioned access, whether electronic or physical, to BCSI, uh, rather than focusing on BCSI storage locations or BCSI repositories, as they're often called. Uh, SIP 11, complementary uh, changes there to go along with the SIP 4 changes. Uh, the main change there is um, in requirement 1.2, going away from procedures to protect and securely handle BCSI and storage transiting use to uh, something more streamlined. Uh, I believe the verbiage is methods to protect and securely handle to mitigate uh, risks of compromising confidentiality. Some, some interesting changes there. Um, Steve, I'll go to you first. What are what are some of the concerns you've you've been hearing about with these revisions or, or thoughts on on these changes? Yeah, well, first of all, the the wording is pretty minimal. I mean, if you look at it, if you did a red line version, uh, an outsider looking at this and say, "Wow, it doesn't look like they really changed all that much." And you know, you mentioned the revisions were done to allow for BCSI in the cloud, um, it, yet it doesn't mention cloud. It doesn't say that anywhere in the standards. Um, Very true. So unless you know the backstory and kind of the history of how this all came about, it can be rather rather puzzling for, for an outsider to look at it. But you know, I think the biggest change is really in SIP 4, you mentioned the move away from designated storage locations. So rather than focusing on identifying where this information is stored and requiring access control and protections around that, they're now saying you need to protect the information whenever there's provisioned access, wherever that may be, and however that may be. 
And I think that change is more significant than most people realize. Uh, depending on how that gets interpreted and how the audit approaches play out, that could be a very significant change uh, that's likely to catch some people by surprise. You're absolutely right, Steve, on, uh, on that change. It, I think it's underappreciated or underestimated uh, as to, to what the kind of bigger implication is. Um, as we all know, with the SIP standards, you know, every, every word kind of accounts. Um, you know, and words have meaning, like we always say. Um, and so while these changes may be, may be minor uh, in appearance, I think the effect is going to be pretty significant. So it's, it's definitely worth noting. I'd, I'll provide a little quick little commentary on the, the SIP4 piece. Um, you know, a lot of people bemoan uh, the use of BCSI storage locations, uh, you know, or repositories, call them what you will. Um, there was an issue that that came up in the original V5 drafting team, attended a lot of those uh, drafting team meetings and the SIP 11 team, understand if you've never been drafting team meeting, the, you know, different standards are divided up by different drafting teams. Um, they don't often talk to each other and don't coordinate uh, very much, which is, which is the case here. The SIP 11 drafting team at the time, um, you know, was working on best cyber system information and protections and then uh, the SIP4 team was working on access management, right? And um, the SIP4 team somehow came up with this storage location idea uh, all on their own and didn't communicate with the SIP11 team. So you, you don't see it mentioned in SIP11, uh, yet it shows up in SIP4. There's no provision or requirement to even identify these repositories or storage locations. Um, you know, let alone inventory them, but obviously there's a lot of implied implied requirements there. So people really struggled with that, uh, reconciling the access management side of SIP 4 with the old SIP 11. So some of these changes will help with that, where, you know, eliminating that storage location piece. But uh, to Steve, to your point, I think it's going to introduce a lot of other potential issues based on the wording they've used. Yeah, on the topic of wording, um, this concept of provisioned access, it's not a, not a defined term. Uh, I'm not <laughs> what does it sure. mean? What does it mean, Steve? <laughs> you know, we, we, we need a modern-day Noah Webster to, to join NERC <laughs> in these drafting teams because they, there's been a, a recurring habit of drafting teams refusing to define terms. And, and I get it's not easy to do, uh, and it's, it can be a challenge. But uh, it's, I think it's more challenging to throw it back to industry and – have them dealing with words and phrases in terms that are not defined. And what, what does it mean? Yep. Who, who defines it? How is it applied? Um, there is some very good discussion on the topic in the technical rationale document, uh, but that's not part of the standard. So yeah. its usefulness is muted at, at best, um, if, you know, somewhat limited in how that can be used. So, Not to uh, disagree with you, Steve, um, because it's... Uh, <laughs> It's certainly not um, provisioned access. is not a official defined term in the NERC glossary of terms. But I, I think you know there's something that uh, really approaches a definition in the parent requirement for R6. Um, it says provisioned access is to be considered the result of the specific actions taken to provide an individual the means to access BCSI. For example, may include physical keys or access cards, user accounts, and associated rights and privileges. Uh, and encryption keys. So I, while I, I do agree with you that there's no, you know, ordained um, definition for um, provisioned access, I think, you know, this is better than 
having to just depend on technical guidance or some other, um, you know, regional interpretation of, of the concept. I mean, I, I think there is something there in, in the requirement which, which would be enforceable, whether it's a definition or not, I guess would be the debate. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that point. I think, I think that's valid and does add, add some clarification. Um, there's still going to be, I guess, even with the definition, there's some room for, uh, I hesitate to use the term interpretation because that has official context, but you know, <laughs> um, developing alternate understandings of, of what the word there you go. is, is, is how, how, how I put it. And my concern would be, you know, a specific action. If I email a file to somebody, that's a specific action, gives them the means to access it. So that wording could be construed potentially to require or consider any access to be provisioned uh, and then therefore require all the associated access management requirements to go along with any access. And, and you know, I, I, I disagree with that. Um, the technical rationale document actually gives some specific examples of incidental access. Um, you know, somebody within a company just, you know, sharing a file with somebody or showing them a, a document or somebody walking by somebody's screen and seeing it. Those are not provisioned access. So. You know, I'd be interested in your thoughts, Leonard and, and Brian, on situations where there could be authorized access to BCSI, which is not provisioned and therefore would not be required to utilize the SIP4 processes. I have some ideas, but I want to hear your thoughts. Sure, sure. Um, I think the, the examples they gave in the technical rationale document um, are, are pretty good examples where this situation would play out. For instance, you're in a meeting and BCSI is, is projected on the screen. You can't provision access to seeing the screen per se in that meeting. Um, or if you're sharing, you know, a printout of, you know, some BCSI, you're not provisioning access to a printout that you're sharing in a meeting. I think those are the situations more so that it, it is intended to, um, address when it's talking about, you know, it may not always be possible to provision the access. Um, sharing data with a third party, um, you know, just because they don't work for you, um, you know, it's still possible to provision the access, the means by which you share that data, for instance, a secure file share server, um, encrypting the data, you know, uh, is another potential uh, interpretation of, of uh, uh, and there, there comes that word again, uh, of what it means to provision access, you know, uh, encryption keys is one of the examples that uh, requirement six uh, provides. So, you know, provisioning access is not necessarily in this context, what we traditionally think of, I think, you know, uh, setting up a user account and uh, specific privileges and active directory, for instance, uh, I think it's a little bit more, you know, broad, uh, in this sense. Um, Brian, what are your thoughts, sir? My thoughts are going a little bit different direction. Yeah, a, a, definitely a good point for discussion there. Um, one of the things that I, you know, we talk about incidental access, you gave some examples there, Leonard, and, and some of that discussion, it always got me thinking about one of my kind of pet peeves that I feel remains unaddressed as far as access was physical access to, you know, be it a control center or room or whatever you kind of by default have BCSI access or you have access to potentially available BCSI like that. That part of it seems to remain unaddressed. I mean, I guess we could wedge it into 
the current non-defined defined terms, um, alternate understanding terms. I don't know what to call them now, Steve. I think the alternate understanding is a good one. Um, they're AA terms. That can mean a lot of things too. Um, you know, so, some of those things, I, I, and granted the standard can't contemplate every possibility, every scenario, but providing kind of those guardrails as to what is this and who's it for? And, you know, ultimately keeping in mind, what's the ultimate goal here? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, I think this is a, it's a step in the right direction, but again, like we've been talking about, um, the real implications of it obviously won't be seen until audits start coming around, until there's more, you know, until industry really, really gets their arms around it. People think, again, they may understand it right now, but um, theory and application are two different things. So when we actually see it written out, applied, audited, uh, I think we're going to see vastly different uh, alternative understandings. What was it again? <laughs> alternative understanding. Actually, I think there's an um, example in the technical rationale that speaks maybe to one of your specific scenarios mm -hmm. you're referring to, Brian, and that's, um, uh, it says another example, provisioning access to a substation, the intent of which is to enable an individual to gain access to the substation to perform you know, substation-related tasks, not to access BCSI that may be located there. Yeah. However, BCSI in these locations and situations still needs to be protected against unauthorized access per the responsible entity's information protection program as required by SIP 11. Yeah. So, so I think this is, is a, a example where, you know, it's at least according to the technical rationale, they're saying, hey, this, this is not intended to address this specific scenario. However, that information should still be protected under SIP 11 uh, yeah. specific to your program. Yep. Yep. So, so I got a couple of thoughts. Yeah. Um, Leonard, you, you mentioned encryption and we mentioned that they don't mean, you know, the cloud is not mentioned in the new version of the standards, but the move to the provisioned access really was meant to uh, address the encryption aspect of which you mentioned. So mm -hmm. providing somebody with encryption keys or the means to decrypt data is provisioning them access to that data. Uh, and that was a big part of the rationale going going to that language. Um, obviously, it encompasses a variety of ways you can you can provision access. So that's interesting. Um, on that topic too, you know, Brian, you mentioned the the substation scenario or a PSP scenario and other things. Um, same could be true for information systems. Uh, you know, a, a vulnerability management system, a change ticketing system, yeah. things where access is provisioned and they include BCSI. Previously, typically auditors would want you to identify those as designated storage locations and have a specific provisioning for BCSI uh, in those. Um, I don't know that that's necessary anymore. They're, the access is already provisioned, so mm -hmm. we have that aspect in place. Yeah. Um, but they do still have to be protected. That's, a, that's another distinction. I'm jumping all over the place here, but another distinction is just because the SIP4 processes are not required doesn't mean the information doesn't still need to be protected. So your SIP 11 program has to allow for protection of all the data in whatever scenario, whatever location, whatever form that it is in. Some of that protection will involve a intentional provisioning of access. In other cases, access may be given under allowed circumstances where other protections are in place, if that makes sense. Do we, do we need another term then introduced for unintentional provisioning? 
I mean, where are we going with this? Well, I, I think it's, you know, there's authorized access and then there is provisioned access. So provisioned access is a subset of authorized access. Yep. Um, somebody walking through a control center where they've been given access to the PSP and they walk by and see a, a diagram hanging on the wall, uh, right? Yep. They've, they've gotten access to the BCSI. They saw the BCSI. They weren't provisioned access. Um, but that would presumably be an allowable uh, situation under your SIP 11 plan. It's a yeah. secure area. The people who are going into that area have been vetted. And uh, BCSI is allowed to be displayed in the open, uh, presumably, under your plan. So I, I think, if anything, it's going to force a little bit more effort being put into SIP 11 to really yeah. define those circumstances rather than relying on just the SIP 4 processes for protection. I agree with that. Would hope. <laughs> yeah, which which actually brings me to to another um, big question that I have that I wanted to discuss today, um, and that's you know in the technical rationale document it talks about how uh, these new revisions are backwards compatible with the previous version of the standard. However, I mean I I think maybe quite a lot of entities may have interpreted that and, and said, you know what, there's there's nothing for us to do to update our programs to be compliant with the new versions. I, I don't I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, just because you, you know, want to stick with having BCSI storage locations, uh, I think the intent there was to say, hey, you can still continue to use those. They're backwards compatible with the new verbiage. But I, I still don't think there's a do nothing, you know, kind of referring to some of the scenarios y'all were just discussing. I mean, it's going to require some new interpretations. Uh, we can't get away from using that word. Um, some new perspectives, uh, you know, when thinking about some of these concepts and the degree to which those are or are not documented in, you know, your SIP4 access management program, your SIP11 information protection program you know, and generate corresponding performance evidence, I think will ultimately be the determining factor whether your backwards compatible approach is still compliant going forward. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's it's not a do nothing option the way I see it. And, and to the point earlier about uh, more emphasis in the SIP 11 and, and how you kind of choose your own adventure or define your own terms, alternative understanding, sorry, it's called AU, not AA. California public school system kids, so sometimes I get acronyms mixed up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I would like to see more emphasis on SIP 11, more more work put in there to, to create those scenarios and to address the possibilities that may may impact a particular entity. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw another word at you. I know you're, you're, you're trying to avoid the word interpretation, so maybe we can use the word interpolation. And where they are, they're just <laughs> filling the blanks Ooh, of things yeah. that were not addressed in the standard. Yeah. Interpolation. There it is. Yes, I, I, I did not go to school in California, so I know all those big words, Brian. That's, yeah, that's. I, I have to look that one up because I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Just kidding. Talking more about this, um, entities that that are under the impression that hey, there's nothing or very little for us to do. I think you you'll be unfortunately sorely mistaken when it comes out. You know, come audit time. I think there there is action to be taken there's updates to be made um, and there's there's new concepts to be considered to be interpolated not interpreted but interpolated can we do that steve is that okay 
Yeah. Interpolation. Interpol interpolation, absolutely. Yeah, they need to be interpolated. We're starting, so. we're starting a new craze. We're going to interpolate. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll have stickers coming soon. That says interpolate that. You know, whole whole line of stickers and stuff. No, uh, but yeah, I, I think there, there's there's work to be done here. So if uh, if you haven't done it yet, I, I would yeah strongly recommend you get working on making some of those updates and changes. Yeah, and I have one one final comment on the. The backwards compatibility, um, you know, maybe that's a good thing that the standard is at least allegedly backwards compatible. Just uh, from a security perspective, though, bear in mind that many, many vulnerabilities arise from the need to maintain backwards compatibility with old technology. Sometimes you just got to throw out the old stuff and start fresh. That's a, that's a, a good, good point to remind people of. Um, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and uh, I, I think we, uh, we hit on some, some very interesting uh, interpolations uh, that need to occur, uh, as well as um, you know, our own perspectives of how to interpolate the, uh, the requirements and new concepts that these uh, revisions introduce. But um, no, uh, anyone out there Want to chat more uh, about SIP 4, SIP 11, and uh, these new requirements, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, we'd love to uh, share our interpolations with you. So, thank you very much for tuning in today, and uh, we'll see you next time on Direct Connect with Archer. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at ArcherU. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, you can head on over to our website at archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, and at Archer SEC on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes of Direct Connect.